It's really important if you're a leader to make sure that you are overcoming the proximity bias that is inherent in hybrid work by having one meaningful conversation with your employees every week. That can be five minutes, it can be 15 minutes, it can be an hour, but you need to ask them about their successes, the barriers to reach future successes, and how you can help them as their manager. And then you really need to make sure that when you're communicating as a leader, that you're doing it often. And you're making sure that people know that you care about their well-being and that managers are translating that on a constant basis. You're not communicating enough. You should always be communicating more than you think. And make sure you tell the right stories to get the right outcomes. Don't distract everyone. And have the right expectations of when people get back to you. Give them a chance to come back later in the day. Let them focus. Let them be productive. Take an asynchronous approach to your expectations on response time. And have a plan and a charter as a team about how you're going to decide on these things so that everyone has clear expectations and they all got to shape it together. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are and wherever you're watching from. My name is Matt Pierce. I'm the host of the Visual Lounge, where we talk about using images and video in the workplace. And sometimes we expand beyond that view of just images and video. and We talk about workplace communications because there's a lot happening in the world today. Things have been shifting, obviously brought on partly by the pandemic, but the world was shifting anyway with technology and opportunities and we're going to dig into that. We've got a, a profound expert, we'll say. He is fantastic. I'm excited to introduce you to him. So please, with that said, let me introduce our guest today. Jeremy is a leading member of Gallup's Europe leadership team and a prominent contributor to Gallup.com. He specializes in the future of work, HR, and industry-specific challenges. He has trained numerous managers, designed innovative workplace solutions, and is an experienced public speaker at renowned conferences worldwide. He also conducts webinars, including Gallup's official real Future of Work series. He holds a bachelor's degree in modern Asian history from Brigham Young University and a China International MBA from the University of Hawaii. With that said, please welcome to the Visual Lounge, Jeremy Breckheisen. Jeremy, welcome to the Visual Lounge. Hey, great to be with you. It is great to be here. I'm just going to, in case things get, we get into some shenanigans, I'm just going to, uh, Jeremy and I uh, met a very long time ago in a place called Newfoundland. Uh, and we we've uh, known each other for a long time and recently reconnected. So I'm I'm really grateful that he's here today and to be able to share his awesome expertise. So Jeremy, for just to get started and get to know you a little bit better, how did you get in, started involved really in the, that workplace kind of transformation, workplace um, you know communications things like that? So I work for Gallup, and uh, after I finished my MBA in China, it was a year in Hawaii and a year in China. We learned to read, write, and speak Mandarin which by the way, I've used zero times in my job. <laughs> uh, we, uh, I applied to a ton of roles and uh, I just found this one online and I thought, this is pretty cool. Gallup has all of this data that represents 98% of the world's population and they use it to help workplaces think about how they communicate with one another, how they talk with one another, how they build cultures of feedback. And uh, I, I got excited about it and I just matched kind of what they were looking for. But really, it's it, as I've joined and I've gotten into these roles within Gallup, I've just been saying yes to every opportunity that they've given me and tried to show them that I was worth the investment. 
and uh, given it my all. Uh, my first project, I went all around the world teaching two-day manager courses on how managers can focus on the right things in conversations with their teams. And we went to Israel three times, went to Puerto Rico, all over the United States. And it was great. And I learned a ton training about 1,500 managers in a short period of time. So it was good onboarding. And from there, I've just grown into this role. And uh, now I get to architect solutions to help companies change the way they do things and the way they communicate. That's amazing. And, and yeah, I can imagine nothing like being thrown into the the kind of the firing line of like, okay, now go train managers about this thing that yeah. maybe you don't haven't even experienced yet. So I'm I'm curious for you as you kind of look broadly, and I and I realize this is a broad question. And and we start thinking about defining success for organizations and workplaces, particularly around communication. What does success look like in an organization when they have good, healthy kind of workplace communication? One of the things that I think are really important is when you think about a good culture of communication, and I do think it's a culture, it's something that it's ongoing. For example, we asked this question in our Gallup research. We asked people to rate this on a scale of one to five. Five is strongly agree. One is strongly disagree. My organization cares about my overall well-being. Now, before the pandemic, it was somewhere between 20 and it rose up to about 29% actually in 2019 of people strongly agreeing that that's the case. But during the beginning of the pandemic, when leaders started checking in with everybody, managers were saying, are you okay? There was investment in a lot of communication technology. It jumped up to 49% strongly agreeing that. This was a representative sample of the working population in the United States. So this is a huge jump. As things have started to go back to normal and as managers and leaders have, have decided, oh, it's time to go back to how I was leading before, it's dropped down to now below pre-pandemic levels. It's at 21%. Strongly agree with it now that you care about my overall well-being. And a key driver of that was that the leaders are communicating a plan, that my manager is communicating where we are in that plan. So everybody's got to be in lockstep and they've got to be communicating often, and we've stopped doing that. So there is a frequency piece to a successful culture of communication. But there's also an alignment between the leadership and the local level of management and how those are really working together. Because your managers are your translators, and they're the ones who make it seem like whatever they're saying up there matters, or whatever those yahoos up there are saying doesn't. And so that's a key thing of making sure you're getting them on board. And most trainings of managers are not teaching them how to have better conversations. It's teaching them how to advocate for internal programs, mm -hmm. which is not always helpful. And these are programs that 15% of people use. But if you teach them how to actually talk to people about these things, this becomes much better. So I, I think those are some key things that really make it. But success is when people actually feel like you care about them and that they know what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think that's, you know, I can see that in my relationships in my working career when I've had that stronger than maybe less, you know, it, it does make an impact. And and I, I'm impressed with that, just the data, right? Because it it shows like, of course, we're all in a time of kind of turmoil. It would make sense that we're we're maybe just naturally doing those things. And then we kind of coming out of it. We maybe feel awkward about it because like, well, I don't have to worry as much or whatever. But so I, I, I love that in this process of that, you know, we always like to ask people because the show is the visual lounge. Do you have any tips uh, for how in these organizations people could leverage visuals or video to, to better communicate? 
I like the idea of disrupt and delight as kind of a principle. And sometimes when you keep seeing the same things in the same format again and again and again, you stop paying attention. Mm. Uh, one of our senior scientists, Danny Kahneman, he's uh, from Israel, actually. He won the Nobel Prize in Economics, even though he's a psychologist, first, first psychologist to win the Nobel Prize in Economics. And it was based on him discovering that there's a system one in your thinking and a system two. System one is like everything is just automatic and it's auto behavior, auto response. System two is where you pause and you want to you want to take a take a just a moment to think about it. And it's system one that's driving, but system two can be the navigator. And so how do we sometimes just stop and make people think with their system two and see, oh, wait, I'm seeing this a different way. I have to stop and think about what they're talking about. If you can do that with visuals, if you can do that with the way you're communicating, the way you tell your story, the way you show your story, the way it builds just-in-time visuals for when the moment matters, these are things that can be really powerful in creating a, a, a conversation where people engage versus a presentation where people visually auto-respond to you. I, and I imagine that that goes across like that disruption, right? Kind of, and I love that phrase, by the way, disrupt and delight, or yeah, disrupt and delight. Because I imagine it works in presentations, it works in emails, it works in kind of meetings and just kind of across the spectrum of all the ways people are having those touch points, right? You could, you could interrupt. Be the, it could be the slightest disruption. Like you can just change the ratio of your PowerPoint, right? Mm. To be, to not be landscape, but to be portrait and really tall and look like an infographic. You can make it so that you only have one data point per slide. You can use a template you've never used before, but it doesn't have to be massive. Just a small change can make people go, oh, I've never seen this before. This is interesting. Well, I, I mean, it, we get habituated to seeing the same things and we we ignore it, right? Uh, I, I once heard from a, you know, from a perspective of an astronaut, when you're looking at uh, in a space shuttle, there's all these dials, knobs, lights, and everything. And it instead of having things come on, they have things turn off, right? Because you're so used to all this information, but when something that is missing, that that was actually a better indicator to them than like, oh, look, another light's flashing and other things on. Uh, so I, I I like that idea and how it comes together. I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about remote and hybrid work, right? Because I think we see a lot of organizations are either they they obviously are forced into the situation where remote was keep the lights on situation. We got everyone's got to work, so we're going to remote. We have some people that are, are now being returned to office where they've got to go back to the office. And one of the principles in there is proximity bias and the idea that it used to be that if you were in the office and you have two people, one's in the office, one's remote. There's a proximity bias towards the person in the office because they're present. And I know just in some of our conversations previously, you mentioned this. I'm Cheers, how is proximity bias changing at this point now that you've got more hybrid, you've got more kind of full-time remote, or even as people are getting forced to return to the office? It's actually done a 180. It's interesting. Before the pandemic, organizations weren't really set up for you to work remotely. You were kind of outside the system. And so the more you worked remotely, the more likely you were to say you were burning out at work. And um, just the more you felt ignored, you know, out of sight, out of mind. However, since the pandemic, 
it started to change. Now, the more you work in the office or on site or in the factory, the more likely you are to say you're burning out at work. That's really interesting, Mm -hmm. uh, that flip. We see it. So it doesn't mean that's how it is forever, right? It just means you got to be careful of that. There are some mental health problems with every situation. And one of the things we're finding with remote work is that people are feeling more stressed and more angry than those who work in the office. And one of the reasons is because when you start to blend work and life together, you don't know when to stop. And you you start to just overwork and overdo it. And, and it creates stress. It creates frustration. Managers now are often working remotely. And so it's easier for them to connect with someone who's over teams if they're on teams and for the person on site to not be connected. So it really does matter where your manager is. It creates a proximity bias. If they're in the office and you're virtual, prepare to experience the proximity bias. If they're virtual and you're in the office, prepare to experience the the proximity bias. Kind of the format that they're using is going to drive that. So it's not always physical proximity. It's proximity from what mode they're using to work. And so that, that becomes really interesting. And I would also say another bias that's really driving this is how executives feel about hybrid work and remote work. We did a study. We asked uh, chief HR officers to tell us, does your executive team have a positive or a negative uh, view of hybrid or remote work? If they said negative, what it usually correlated with is that they were a lot less likely to believe that remote and hybrid work increased performance. They were much more likely, 56% of them were currently working in the office five days a week versus only 15% of those who have a positive attitude towards it. They were more likely to expect that other leaders need to be in the office more than their teams. They were more likely to require more days in the office on average, those who have a negative view require their employees to be in the office 3.13 days versus the positive require their people to be in the office 1.88 days. And then they were they were more likely to have punitive policies for not complying. So 70% of those who have negative attitude towards hybrid were, had a punishment if you didn't comply with their policy. Only 38% of those with positive. And lastly, they're planning to reduce flexibility when they have this negative attitude. And only 4% with a positive attitude towards it, we're going to reduce flexibility. So not only do they are they like to ignore you if they're not with you, their attitude towards this changes where they think you should work. And it means it's an emotional decision. It doesn't actually mean they're deciding it because it's more productive or it's better for your life or it's better for the company. It's all driven by the way they view it. And that starts driving their own behaviors and what they expect of others. Okay, so that that I mean, that is a lot, and you know, and I can see that happening. Um, what I'm curious about those. So I'm a manager. I have uh, four people that report to me. So I'm thinking about a couple different things here. From a like that, if I'm a that line level person, you know, I report to a manager who's obviously being dictated by the senior leadership team, right? Like what we're going to do. How does that person maybe? impact this so that the pro- overcome the proximity bias. And then as a manager, kind of on the other side, how do I make sure I'm not being 
problematic in the way I'm approaching my team because I'm making a choice, right? And and you know I'm in the either in the office or I'm the remote person. Uh, any strategy, like practical strategies of how we might tackle this on either of those levels? First of all, all our research shows there's one behavior that if a manager does this, he starts to mitigate this dynamic along with a number of other dynamics that have to do with hybrid or remote work. And it's having one meaningful conversation with each one of your direct reports every week. Now, if you have 30 direct reports, that might sound impossible. Mm -hmm. So don't hurt yourself. (laughs) But our research shows that you shouldn't have uh, more than 10 to 15 people reporting directly to you because then you can't do these things that actually mitigate that. So think about that in terms of how you're scoping that. But as a manager, if you've got four or five people, that's a great number. If it's 10, that's great. Meet with them once each week and have a meaningful conversation. What does that mean? It does not mean an hour-long conversation. We found that you can have a meaningful conversation in five minutes. And it's just about what are you talking about? Are you asking them about their successes and why they were successful? Are you asking them about their barriers and, and what's standing in their way? And are you asking about where you can be helpful? If you ask about those three things, you could do it in five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour. But if you can do that once a week, it mitigates a ton of these things and really makes a difference. The other thing you can do is build a team charter. And in that team charter, it should consist of a couple of things. One, it should consist of what's our purpose as a team? What are we really trying to achieve? And what are our goals we have in the coming months? And then what are our strengths and weaknesses as a team? And then one last conversation before you decide your actual staffing plan, what are the best things for our team to be doing together on site? And what are the best things for our team to be doing virtually? And that might be together, that might be independently. And putting out all of those things so that that informs your staffing plan. I see too many people skipping to a staffing plan of where people will work and how many days they'll work and and all those. If it's too disconnected from the actual reasons why you guys exist as a team, what you're all about, and where you should be doing these activities, I think you might make some some wrong decisions. So if you could do that together with the team, have that conversation and revisit it regularly, that can be a really good thing to do. Then you can figure out how often should we be together? How often should we have at least a minimum number of people together? Or should we never come together? But you can make those decisions based on anchored to the right things then. No, I I I love that, right? Because you're putting all the right, trying to get all the right pieces in place that will inform what that staffing plan looks like. It will inform how the team operates, right? So if you know, let's say if you're getting, it seems like if you're getting together and you know that brainstorms are a thing we don't want to compromise on, we want those to be in person, then we're going to make sure that the brainstorm happens in person, right? Like you're going to, and everyone just knows. And then there's that set expectation, so. And because they were all part of that conversation, they feel ownership over it. They have clear expectations around it. And when you ask for it, you don't feel awkward and you feel like everybody's going to understand why you're asking this. And they were part of shaping it. And when people get involved, they feel ownership, they feel engaged, they they perform. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you a question. Um, you know, we, we've actually just recently, we have some research that's coming out that we've done and it's a small sample size, you know, just short of a thousand people. 
Uh, and one of the questions that was really interesting that we're, we've we've been thinking a lot about is, you know, we're talking about workplace communications and we're looking at, you know, uh, kind of the difference between people having too many meetings. Do they feel like they're having too many? Are they sitting in too many meetings? And because obviously we we feel like we have a solution that can help maybe mitigate some of those meetings. And it was really interesting that came back to uh, to us in this data that's saying that basically we were surprised by this. A lot of people said they had the right amount of meetings. And I, I want to get your take on that. Like, do you think organizations generally are meeting heavy or do you think we've got this figured out, that balance between the the kind of communication methods and the type of meetings, you know, and having meetings that are uh, productive? I'll also add to the data that we look when we splice it up that people who had productive meetings were in the right amount of meetings. People who had unproductive meetings said, I have way too many meetings that I don't need to be in meetings. But just wanted to get your take on that kind of not without going into all the data or depth, what what your thoughts are. It's an emotional thing. If It's just exactly what you said. If I feel like I'm in unproductive meetings, it's actually about not about the number. Uh, I feel like I'm wasting my time. Mm-hmm. And so it's. It, I think it's really about that. Usually, I find companies are having too many meetings. And the reason they're having too many meetings is because their decision-making models are not right. They don't have the right people making the decisions and it's driving them to have to have a bunch of consensus making meetings to get the decision. Um, and it's because the person who's closest to the action isn't being trusted to make the right decision. So it generates a whole bunch of bureaucracy meetings that weren't needed. There's one company, and this is in a, a book I read. I'll see if I can remember what it was, but uh, it was, they didn't actually require, they made it so that there was no requirements for any meetings. Mm-hmm. And there was a company policy put out, said that you're not required to attend any meeting you're invited to, only go to it if you think you actually need to be there. And so everybody had to make the case for why they wanted people to show up to these meetings. And it made it so that they reduced meetings dramatically. Um, and it, it, it was something that became very helpful. I, I really do think it's about being productive. And one of the things that people have really liked in some of the trainings I've seen with managers about hybrid meetings, it's actually been more inclusive that people who didn't used to get invited to meetings because they weren't at headquarters are now being included. And so it's actually created a bit better meeting culture in some cases because you've been able to do that. Um, so there's a lot of positives to the the way things have changed. When we train managers on meetings, one of the things we try to get them to do is to think about how to be inclusive, especially if it's a hybrid meeting. And we try to give them the analogy of like a football game where it, when you're in person, there's stadium seating and a jumbotron and cheerleaders and people throwing things into the crowd. It's almost like it's designed for you to be there because it is. But if you're at home, there's instant replays, there's commentary, there's commercials designed, hopefully for you. You get to take a bathroom break with no bathroom line. It's almost like it was designed for you to watch it from home because it was. This is a meeting that was designed for both in-person and remote viewers. Why can't your meetings be the same? Are you designing it just for the convenient people? If it's a majority online, then that's who it's designed for. If it's a majority in person, then that's who it's designed for. Or are you actually designing it for everybody to be involved? And there's a number of things you can do to make that happen. Yeah, I can just I, I can state that from our experiences, we uh, we just built a new building and in it with it along came in a bunch of tech, right? And but the experience is designed for hybrid. And whereas before we had offices that I mean, no one was, everyone was in office uh, pre-pandemic. And so what I've seen though, is that change, right? There's almost this, 
at least in our experience, we almost have this bias now for remote because we know that everyone is included. Now, the the in-office experience, the hybrid experience isn't bad. It's actually pretty good because, but I we noticed early on that the shift, like kind of where the focus was, had really dramatically changed from like, everybody in the room was talking and people online, well, good luck. Hope you can hear it over the noise and mm-hmm. be inclu- maybe you can get a word in. But now it's like, it's become much more equitable. And I, I so I really appreciate the perspective of thinking about the design. And I, I, I love that analogy uh, because, yeah, we, we want to think about good design. We want to think about how we're connecting with whoever. Uh, you know, we talk a lot in this audience with people who are creating training, learning. And we always talk about our thinking about the audience. And I, I don't know if as a manager, I put that hat on to say, oh, I have an audience. Where are they going to be? What experience are they going to have? So I think that's really powerful. I think it does help you as a manager when you have a company like yours that's designed a building to facilitate that, right? Like if you think about the football analogy, the stadium was designed for that. The commercials were set up for you. The commentators were hired. Like they they put a lot of systemic things in. As a manager, if you have these tools and you have a building designed for you to do these things, it's a lot easier for you to choose uh, to have a meeting that's more inclusive for everybody. If you're on your own and you don't have a company that's helped you get there, you can still do it, but it's just a little bit more work to get ready, but everyone can do it. For sure. Just, I think it's about that kind of thoughtful process, making sure uh, you've got the right pieces in place. I'm I'm curious, one of the things that we we look a lot at is kind of, I, I go to a lot of meetings. I'm not saying that meetings are bad. I think you talked about how a lot of organizations haven't put the right trust into right people kind of to make the decision. But I think that we have a perspective of that there's technology, particularly video, whatever tool you're using, that we think that you could you could mitigate maybe some of the communication or just even time in these meetings by maybe pre-recording or creating content that allows somebody to maybe digest it, you know, when they're able more asynchronously. And I think asynchronous is a word that gets thrown around a lot in terms of communications in the last couple of years. Just from your perspective of what you're seeing, is asynchronous communication working or is it effective? Is it something that is helpful or is it maybe missing the mark because there's all these other issues that come into play like trust and like connection, things like that? I think asynchronous uh, capabilities can be really important because what you don't want people to become is a doctor on call. Mm-hmm. And and you might send them a Teams chat or a, or a Slack thing or an email, and you want them to respond to you immediately. But let's think through that expectation. What you're actually expecting them is to stop what they're doing and respond to you, then go back to what they're doing, then stop what they're doing and respond to you, then go back to what they're doing. Researchers have found that people don't really multitask. They task switch. Mm-hmm. And some people are faster at it. Some people are slower at it. But the more you switch tasks, the more you slow down productivity and performance. And so asynchronous tools actually allow people to stay focused, productive, and perform, and then view the emails or the meetings when they need to in, in the right blocking of their scheduling. I think it's uh, the more people get better at this, the better it's going to get. And you need to have asynchronous expectations around response times. Let them respond to you when it's time, not when you selfishly need it. Otherwise, you're wreaking hack fabric. Everybody's productivity every time you message them. Um, and so 
the more you can do that. And by the way, it kind of also aligns a little bit about around some of the successes you've seen at companies like Amazon, where a lot of their meetings, you people have to kind of write up their their case. And so at the beginning of every meeting, everybody's just reading through this case. And uh, they kind of have to read through the whole story. Can't interrupt you, right? Because they're reading it. And then when they're done, everybody provides feedback. But it's because they got the whole story and it was thoughtful. You're just trying to have them do the same thing with video, right? So I think that's just making it even more dynamic and can be really powerful. But again, like I think there's a number of things that it's solving if you can use it. And it doesn't mean it's the right thing for every situation, Mm -hmm. but I think it solves for a lot of things that most tools today are just trying to get us to disrupt each other all the time. And it's not helpful. Yeah, I think it it feels like it also goes back to what you said about culture, right? Setting up a culture that allows, like, I don't have to be instantaneous in this response. Maybe that there's a, you know, whatever that shared expectation is when you're coming together, forming the team, thinking about what all those kind of guidelines are. It's like, hey, you know, is 24 hours? Is it 48 hours? Is it, you know, two hours? Whatever it might be makes sense to set that up as kind of a, uh, early expectation because it feels like, and I, you know, and look, as a company that we try to do this, I often still feel the tug. Like there's a Slack message, there's an email. I, yeah, I haven't responded to it fast enough, right? And um, it, it definitely something that feels like it needs to be reinforced at like all levels of the organization. It just can't be like, and, and maybe I could be better about turning it off, right? Like turn off the notifications, turn off the tool. Teaching people how to block schedule I think is a really important uh, capability and skill and allows them to leverage these tools in that way. Block scheduling is what most of the successful people in the world do. They don't just let things disrupt their most important activities like email or meetings. They block out their most productive time to do the most important things. There's books like Eat That Frog, which is about doing the most important thing first, like tons of philosophies and research that show you're much more focused if you're not constantly task switching. So I think, I think that's, that's right. Well, I want to get to our speed round here in just a second. My last question kind of on this, uh, Jeremy is, you know, is there any practical actionable advice that you haven't shared around workplace communications about, you know, working in these environments that you would like to share with us that you think would be helpful? It's really important when you are talking as an executive, that you're mindful of the stories you share. Make sure that your stories are things that are connected to the business and that really help people replicate things that drive the kinds of customer experiences and employee experiences you're looking for. For example, there was this CEO of a bank we were working with, and he told this story of this person who came into a bank and asked the teller to help him prepare for a job interview by helping him tie a tie around his neck. He didn't know how to. So the story gets pretty emotional about how the teller came out around and taught him how to tie the tie himself. And he went there and he came back and he got the job. Well, all of a sudden, everyone's like seeing a person in a wheelchair out and they help him get a ride home and they're doing all these things that have nothing to do with banking. What you want to do is tell stories that help people do what you want them to do in your business. So when you're thinking about the communication, you think about what to communicate, make sure you tell emotional viral stories that drive people to do the behaviors you want to drive your business forward. 
Otherwise, you might dis- distract everybody and get them running all down a direction because they're excited and emotional about it, but it actually doesn't drive your business forward. And executives make this communication mistake all the time. I love that. And I imagine that trickles down too, right? Because managers are then repeating the story or they're sharing their own version of the story. Or as we're communicating with each other, we're telling the stories and is it really moving us in the right direction? So I, I great, great advice here. Well, Jeremy, we're going to go into our speed round questions. These are quick, fast answered questions. Uh, we're going to have a little fun because we, if you're new to the show, we roll a 12-sided die to determine which questions. And actually, uh, you get to be my first interview with a new set of questions. So we're mixing it up a little bit. So here we go. Speed round. All right, Jerry, we're on the speed round. So here is our dice cam. So we got this set up. So 12-sided die. Uh, let's, let's just roll and dive in. Here we go. First one is away. That is a seven. It kind of looks like a one on the camera. So question number seven here. What's a hobby or interest that you've always wanted to pursue, but you just haven't had a chance yet? I mean, you you sounds like you've been you've been all over the world. You've done tons of things. What's a hobby that you would love to have a chance to do? I would like to be one of those people who can solve the Rubik's Cube in like 30 seconds. I think it would just make me feel like the smartest person in the world. And I think it'd be awesome. Now, I have to ask, have you solved a Rubik's Cube already? Or have you taken that step? Uh, I've solved it once. <laughs> it took me four weeks. Okay. And I had a book helping me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've noticed that there are patterns or YouTube videos you can go, you know, watch. Yep, but, that's right. Uh, have a coworker. He got really good at it. I don't know if it, I don't know what his fastest time was, uh, but he, he, you know, he just knew the patterns and could work through it. It was pretty awesome. All right. Let's go on to our dice. Back to our dice cam. Next question here. Rolling, rolling, rolling. That is, it's uh, hard to see from my camera angle. So that is a five. So question number five, uh, if you could instantly acquire a new skill, what would that be and why? I would love to instantly acquire the ability to like code Python or something like that, because I just think it's so valuable to, to, to know how to code things in today's. And I never developed any of those things. And I, I think it could just change the way I think a little bit and start to see new problems in new ways. That would be awesome if I could just immediately do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to make time for it. But if I could instantly do it, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I do notice that. Um, and I'm not a developer. I have dabbled in little bits of code, mostly HTML, which is not much. Uh, and it, it, it's nice. Like I look at people and I am a little bit envious that they can make something like, you know, they can say, oh, this idea, I can make this. I, I You know, we have this team of uh, software engineers uh, on staff that are brilliant and they make things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how they do it. But it, it's it's pretty amazing. So, okay, let's go one more question here. Dice is rolling. And this is a question number 12, which is, uh, what's your one go-to tool that helps you get your job done on a regular basis? This could be a piece of software. It could be something that's physical. It could be anything, a tool that you use regularly in your job that helps you uh, be effective in what you do. I would say I go to this site called Presentation Go. And it gives me PowerPoint templates that are really great. And I use them to kind of put new looks on old things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's great. It's super easy for me to see things. It's free. I download them. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Like I've, I've created presentations that look really great, super fast. And it's been really great. 
and it's been awesome. I also use ChatGPT for a lot of things, but let's just let's stick with Presentation Go, which is really great. Oh no, I love that. I I I give enough presentations. I'll have to check that out because I'm always. I spend a lot of time on my presentations, making sure they look good and uh, very visual, and I'm excited to see what that has to offer. So, well, uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for spending time with me today. If people want to connect with you, you they they want to read more because you are you write articles uh, in various locations. Where should they connect with you and and learn more? Yeah, so you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can Google search my name, and it'll come up with lots of things. But I actually have a link to. Uh, my profile page, which has all the articles I've written on Gallup.com there for you to read, uh, such as articles about mental health, about culture, about uh, uh, how to manage the dynamics of hybrid work. And so uh, if you go to that site, you can see all the things there, but you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. All right. And we will make sure that link is in the, the description below. So wherever you're listening to or watching, you can you can get that. All right, Jeremy, we end every show the same way. We always like to kind of wrap up with our, our guest and asking them, what, what is your final take? It's really important if you're a leader to make sure that you are overcoming the proximity bias that is inherent in hybrid work by having one meaningful conversation with your employees every week. That can be five minutes. It can be 15 minutes. It can be an hour. But you need to ask them about their successes, the barriers to reach future successes, and how you can help them as their manager. And then you really need to make sure that when you're communicating as a leader, that you're doing it often. And you're making sure that people know that you care about their well-being and that managers are translating that on a constant basis. You're not communicating enough. You should always be communicating more than you think. And make sure you tell the right stories to get the right outcomes. Don't distract everyone. And have the right expectations of when people get back to you. Give them a chance to come back later in the day. Let them focus. Let them be productive. Take an asynchronous approach to your expectations on response times. And have a plan and a charter as a team about how you're going to decide on these things so that everyone has clear expectations and they all got to shape it together. All right. Sounds fantastic. I know my team is going to be listening to this at some point and they're going to be like, oh, that's why he's doing this. That's why he's connecting <laughs> with me. But Jeremy, it has been an absolute pleasure to connect with you today. Uh, I want to just thank you again for being with me in the Visual Lounge. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right, everyone. We, we, well, man, I've got so many ideas of things I can do and how I can improve my communication at work, how I'm going to apply some things I've already been doing with asynchronous work. We hope you take a, some time to figure that out for yourself. I hope this is inspiring for you. Go check out Jeremy's stuff. He's got great articles out there with chock full of data, great information. That's what I love too. All that data, it's so important. And if, if you're liking what you're here, hearing, we always like it if you would like, subscribe, help share the show with others so that we can make sure the word is getting out to other people about how you can improve your visual communication in the work that you're doing. So with that said, of course, we end with the same kind of mantra is that we hope you take a little time to level up every single day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.